strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Barry Markson in for Broomhead. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, food prices are up. We've talked about inflation. It's it's back under control the last couple of years. Uh, inflation at about 3% or even lower on most things now. But food has been stubborn in its uh, in its in its rise. It won't come back down. Uh, reports out now that uh, food prices is up 25% overall since the start of COVID. Um, and worse in Arizona, by the way, for some reason, Arizona paying even higher prices uh, than the rest of the country, but le- than, well, not the whole rest of the country, but up in the higher part of it, for sure. California, by the way, considerably higher. Uh, but here, here's a, so a report from ABC News about this, uh, why food costs are high and, and why they won't come down. The Wall Street Journal reports Americans have not spent this much on food in 30 years. In 1991, consumers spent 11.4% of their income on food. And today, the latest data shows that figure at 11.3%. Overall, inflation has cooled in the past two years, but grocery costs are stubbornly high. Experts blame several factors, including higher labor costs and record low cattle numbers driving up the cost of beef and steak. Yeah, I know. I know the cost of beef is high. That that's true, and it is the just. I, I'm not really sure why exactly. He said the labor costs and just the raising the cattle, I guess. But uh, the beef costs are high. But it's not just the beef costs. Other things are up too. Bread is up. Milk is up. I mean, it's just it has become expensive, and it's not just it's not just going to the grocery store. Restaurant uh, prices have actually risen even faster, uh, almost a, a double or more uh, the prices of going to the grocery store. And a lot of that is being driven by uh, food costs. Now, for restaurants, it's also labor costs because we're getting into higher minimum wages. Uh, we're getting rid of the time when restaurants used to be able to pay uh, waiters and, and front of the house staff uh, well below minimum wage. I mean, I was a I was a busboy and a waiter and a bartender. I was paid uh, $2.35 an hour <laughs> when I was here. And, and when you get tips and you make it up and it's fine. Uh, now, uh, th- there's a lot of laws around the country that require uh, these food service workers, even though they get tipped, to get paid minimum wage. So uh, there's a lot going on to the restaurant stuff, but it's it's very expensive. And the food prices, they're continuing to go up. Grocery prices rose 1.2% last month compared to the same time last year, but the cost of eating out in restaurants surging much higher by more than 5%. The good news, analysts expect some relief in the coming months. Well, hopefully we do get that relief because that's one of the few areas where the cost uh, that inflation is going up. I mean, if you remember back uh, three years, four years uh, during COVID and right afterwards, the cost of getting a car, by the way, you saw that, right? It skyrocketed because the demand was so high and the supply was so low. But that's that's changed now. The supply has caught up and you can not the cars are inexpensive, but uh, but certainly the inflationary costs have come down a little bit. You can go back and get the deals from the manufacturers that you used to be able to get that sort of thing. Uh, It's coming back down. Uh, But for some reason, food, I mean, the price of gas has come down considerably, although still still higher than we've seen. Uh, but the price of food has has stubbornly stayed high. And uh, I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, I mean, I know labor. I know some other things. I think part of it is just me talking now. But I think part of it is, uh, especially for farmers and, and others that grow, uh, grow our food and raise our food, they were getting so little that the the margins, the profit, the, the it was always farmers always kind of live on that edge, right? They always are just one bad uh, uh, weather system away from losing everything because they they the margins are so low, and I think that kind of changed with COVID, where we started to see that go up and with inflation. And I'm kind of wondering if uh, they're maintaining higher prices because they can, right? We kind of got used to paying higher prices. And they're, and, and those manufacturers, those the, the farmers and the folks who raise our food uh, and grow our food, I think they're saying, hey, we need to keep these prices a little higher. We need to make money.
and and that's uh, that's what they're doing. So it's interesting. Uh, the report was that we're that there's some indication we're going to see prices for food start to come down over the next several months. We'll see if that occurs. That would certainly be in line with what we've seen with inflation with most every other category, and also. Uh, what we've seen with the economy as a whole. I mean, this economy still is just buzzing along. I mean, it, it's it's absolutely incredible. Stock market, huge rise today. And I know that's not the economy, but the stock market way up uh, today, way up historically, higher than it's ever been. About uh, The Dow's up 264 points as I speak right now. And but more importantly, unemployment at, a, at an all-time record lows. People have jobs. Uh, the wages that we're getting are at their highest ever. Wages are up 37 38% over the last four or five years in real wages. So that's a different thing. Uh, wages last year uh, were up 4.5% and inflation was about 3%. So we're, we're getting raises. We're making more money. And, and uh, the cost of, of living has gone down. So it's things are getting better uh, for the economy. That doesn't mean it's across the board. doesn't mean every single person is doing better. But overall, uh, the U.S. economy is, without question, uh, the strongest economy in the world. Uh, inflation, by the way, not just a United States issue. It's an, it's an issue around the world. And we, we truly do have an international economy these days. Uh, but you know, people sometimes, we always blame things on the president, I'm, I'm, whether it's Biden or Trump or whoever it is. I'm never one to blame the economy one way or the other. And I also don't give a ton of credit for that either. But it's, it, the economy often goes has a lot of factors that are feeding into it. Um, and the president isn't like they're sitting there with a with a clipboard saying, "Well, let's move this a little bit and things will change." Uh, but what we are living in right now is a is a growing economy, uh, growing. Uh, the GDP is up, the gross domestic product is up huge percentages the last two quarters, which is amazing, up up higher than we we could ever expect. Certainly more than economists suspected, uh, but much more than we've seen historically. Um, we're getting that soft landing, and uh, again, it's it's still difficult for many people because prices are up, rent is up. I mean, in Arizona, we still have uh, in essence a housing shortage. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. Uh, you know, I have two sons in college. They're going to come out. I, I hope I hope at least one or two of them live here. <laughs> and and I don't know where they're going to live. Uh, they, they can't live in the town where they went to school, where they grew up. The rents are incredibly high. Uh, to buy a house is ridiculous. I mean, that's just not going to happen, at least for an awful number, a long number of years, uh, if they ever could. And that's something that should be a concern uh, to Arizonans. And I, I know the legislature now is as they were last year and, and did nothing, but they're trying to do things that hopefully would bring the cost of living down. We have an interesting problem here in Arizona and, and certainly in Maricopa County. Uh, we're, we're in a very desirable area. We've got a great economy. We have great jobs. Here, things are getting better. We have great weather, except for a couple months in the summer, and and people like coming here. So we have a growing citizenship. We have we are a growing state, and as a result, the demand for housing has gone up considerably, and the supply hasn't matched it. Part of that is zoning. Part of it is people don't want uh, more housing. They don't want more traffic. They don't want more apartments. They don't want those things, and. That has kept, uh, and it's weird for me to say this because as I drive around, it's kept housing, new housing down. But as you drive around, you see new apartments everywhere, right? I mean, everywhere I go, when I drive around, wherever I am, in East Valley or Phoenix or in the West Valley, there are new apartments everywhere. And yet rents are at all-time highs. Uh, Home prices, all-time highs. Uh, Rent for homes is at all-time high. Everything's high. So obviously, we have not kept up with that demand. And as, you know, I'm a homeowner. If you're a homeowner, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's, it's kind of cool when your house is worth a lot more. You feel better financially. You feel like you have a nice nest egg that you can eventually tap into. And uh, it's a good thing. But on the other hand, for young people, 
whether uh, you know coming out of high school, coming out of college, uh, getting paying rent or having the ability to someday uh, buy into the American dream to buy into a home, uh, it seems out of reach right now. And it's funny, I used to, my wife's from California, and I remember when, when we met 20, uh, 20 plus years ago, 25 years ago, uh, being back there and, and going to her, her cousin's homes, and uh, and they were you know, fine fine homes, and I'd say, how much was that house that we were just in? And she told me that, I was like, that was $1.6 million. And I'm like, what? Like this, you know, it, it, a house here that at best back then would have been worth $300,000, $400,000 at best. It was $1.6 million. And I said, how do people do that? How do you, because I knew what her friend, her cousins do for a living. And I said, how do they do that? And she said, they just do it. They just pay more for their house. Their house poor, but that's what you have to do. And now we're there. We're, we're, now we're, we're not still not California, but we're there though, where the, the cost of having a home is so expensive. So things are definitely different in Arizona because we are so fortunate to live in an area that's growing. Uh, but hopefully we can get these food costs in line because right now uh, the inflation for food is, is high. And for Arizona, uh, again, some of the highest in the entire country. On the other side, um, we're going to talk about the the abortion pill a little bit. Uh, There's a Supreme Court case that's still pending on whether or not that will remain legal, Uh, but also talk about what's going on in Alabama. I don't know if you saw this, but for folks who want to do in vitro, trying to get pregnant, who freeze an embryo, uh, uh, Alabama, the Supreme Court there just made an incredibly interesting ruling that is going to affect potentially an awful lot of folks trying to get pregnant. I'm Barry Marks and in for Broomhead. We'll talk about it next. It's KTAR. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Barry Markson, and for uh, Mike Broomhead this morning. Hey, uh, coming up, just uh, just took care of this. Uh, Congressman Ruben Gallego, he's running for Senate here in Arizona. He's going to join me live here on KTR coming up uh, right after the news at 11.15. So stay with us uh, for that. Uh, Congressman Gallego will join us. We'll get comments from him about what Kerry Lake had to say this week on KTR and also this new polling that just came out. So we'll have all of that for you here coming up just after 11.15. This abortion pill issue is is a pretty interesting one. Uh, the, the abortion pill has been legal for, I want to say it's certainly over 20 years. I think it's over 30 years. And it's a it's a pill that... Uh, terminates a pregnancy early on and, frankly, is used to terminate uh, more than half of the pregnancies that are terminated in the United States. It's something that allows us, allows women uh, to terminate that pregnancy without having the procedure of an abortion, without going into a clinic and the difficulty and the danger of, of an actual physical abortion. It's incredibly safe. It's something like issues arise about 0.3% of the time. And... It's something that uh, many women around the country, and again, this isn't a Republican or Democrat thing. This is just a reality. It's a healthcare thing. It's something that a lot of uh, women have uh, come to uh, have come to rely on when necessary, and reduces what I would call the number of actual abortions, the the procedure of abortions. And we had Carrie Lake on earlier in the week, and and she uh, she came out against that, which I thought was. Um, was somewhat surprising to me that that she did that. She does not want that to happen. But we're seeing something now in Alabama that's uh, that's a little um, it's it's a little it's a little bit interesting. Uh, it, they, they, the Supreme Court there ruled uh, that folks who were now this is not an abortion pill. This is for people who want to have who want to get pregnant. These are people who are freezing their embryo. They're doing things so they can get pregnant later. And the Alabama Supreme Court made a very interesting. 
uh, decision there that affects uh, only people in Alabama right now, but the concern is it may spread around the country. Because Alabama's high court ruled frozen embryos qualify as people, anyone who discards them, which is a normal part of the IVF process, could now face criminal charges. For doctors and clinics, it's a legal liability that could force them to close their doors, a risk that reproductive rights advocates warned would be a ripple effect of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. So this is legally uh, something that Many folks on the on the uh, anti-abortion side have been trying to do for a long time. It's called it's, it's called personhood. Uh, they want to create a thing where a fetus or an embryo is considered to be a person and provided with legal protection under the law as, as any person would receive in the United States. This is that this kind of that first step in that happening, and it's it's a it's a little scary because it it really affects people who have been uh, trying to get pregnant or who want to get pregnant. Maybe they can't right now for health reasons. They can't. Let's say uh, I, I don't know. Silly example. Let's say. Uh, uh, you know, the mom, a potential mom is, is uh, significantly overweight and she needs to lose some weight to safely get pregnant and for the baby to be, for the pregnancy to be safe. So she'll freeze embryos. So it's there later. It could be just parents uh, who want to have a baby but can't for right now, whatever the reason is. These are folks who want to get pregnant. These are not people who don't want to get pregnant. These aren't folks trying to end pregnancies. Uh, it's exactly the opposite. But this law, uh, this law that the Supreme Court in Alabama came down with hurts that. Alabama, the first state in the country to consider frozen embryos people. And now the University of Alabama at Birmingham Health System saying we must evaluate the potential that our patients and our physicians could be prosecuted criminally or face punitive damages for following the standard of care for IVF treatments. And, and this continues what we've seen. I think it's alarming, but it's what we're seeing in other parts of the country uh, where women's reproductive rights, women's health issues are being criminalized, where women uh, can now be prosecuted for having an abortion, where women can be prosecuted for going out of state to have an abortion, and now where women can be prosecuted for trying to use in virtual to try to have a baby through non uh, what I'll call non standard ways, and that's it's unfortunate because it's the opposite. This is this is what when people say it's not a, it's not abortion, it's health care. This is what we're talking about. This is the other side of it. These are people who want to get pregnant, they want to have a baby, and now these overbearing laws are coming out and affecting them in a very negative way. And it's something I've always talked about, you know, we're being a politically conservative. Conservative to me means stay out of my house. Don't pass laws uh, to make decisions for me and for my family and, and my children. Let me and my wife take care of that. The less government doing that, the better. That's conservative. But what you're seeing now is government inserting itself, not just into your home, but into your doctor's office and into your uterus and deciding these issues for you uh, as opposed to letting you decide them. And that's a that's a very significant change. Uh, it's unfortunate for the people of Alabama. There's already fertility clinics there and hospitals saying we're not going to do this anymore. Um, and it's it, it's it's incredibly unfortunate and hopefully not something that spreads around the country, but I'm afraid we will see that. Uh, coming up, we interviewed uh, County Attorney Rachel Mitchell just a few uh, minutes ago here on KTAR. Uh, she has a very interesting issue. She's uh, she has somebody in custody who's accused of attempted murder in Arizona, but wanted in New York City uh, on murder charges there. And she's had a bit of a, a, a dust up with the count with the uh, district attorney there. We'll tell you what happened and let you hear from Rachel Mitchell herself next. It's KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. 
All right, everybody. It's the Mike Broomhead Show. I'm Barry Marks and filling in. Mike's back uh, back tomorrow. Hope you're having a great Thursday. Man, beautiful day today. Blue sky, 75 degrees here in the Valley of the Sun. This is uh, this is why we're here, folks. <laughs> this is the time of the year. Uh, get out and enjoy this day. It is, uh, it is a beautiful one. Uh, we had Rachel Mitchell on with us earlier. Rachel Mitchell is the county attorney here in Arizona. Uh, and she uh, she made some national news uh, yesterday. Uh, we have uh, we have a man here in Arizona who was arrested for stabbing two women in surprise. Uh, he was uh, he stabbed one in a McDonald's restroom and then apparently went outside or at some point afterwards was was carjacking a vehicle and stabbed the uh, the owner or occupant of that car as well. So he's been arrested. He's going to he's charged if he hasn't been yet with uh, attempted murder, two counts of attempted murder. But it turns out he was in New York City before that. And, uh, and is alleged to have murdered somebody, bludgeoned them to death. So this is obviously a pretty dangerous guy uh, and, and with some pretty major issues. And Rachel, uh, Rachel Mitchell uh, said when asked by New York City uh, but to extradite him back, uh, she, she hesitated because she wants to make sure he's held responsible for the crimes he committed against these victims in Arizona. We'll play back some of that interview uh, here, but Rachel Mitchell uh, taking a stand. We're going to prosecute him here. We have very serious offenses here. Now, that's not to say that we're not ever going to let him go to New York to face the charges there. Of course we are. And, and what what uh, County Attorney Rachel Mitchell told us is that uh, normally um, the state uh, the state that has the where the where the if it's a big uh, uh, if it's a big thing like here where it's attempted murder you usually get to try him first where he is where he, where the man stands uh, but oftentimes if it's a bigger crime uh, you you do extradite you do send to another state and let the, let him deal with that first uh, and she talked to us a little bit about how that works and and how they decide when someone is sent to another state for prosecution before being prosecuted here it's not uncommon when you have both serious offenses that the whoever has him goes first um, you know if it was a, a, a much less serious offense then you might consider sending them to the other jurisdiction first to face those charges. But in this situation, um, and, and of course, you know, I have to say that, you know, charges are not evidence and people are right. presumed innocent until proven guilty. But if he is found guilty of these charges, he is facing very lengthy prison sentence. And these are very serious offenses. We had two of our citizens of Maricopa County stabbed. And we're, we're going to go first. You know, and I, I didn't ask uh, County Attorney Mitchell this, but I looked it up in the, the potential sentences for attempted murder is seven to 21 years in prison here in Arizona. And this is two counts of that. So uh, it is a substantial crime in Arizona and a substantial uh, and a substantial punishment, potentially. And, and as she said, it isn't that he won't be sent back to face the murder charges in New York. It's just a question of uh, facing the attempted murder charges here first. Uh, and and. The county attorney told us why why she wants to do it that way. The other thing is, while the other state would not have to necessarily honor our bond amount, and of course our bond amount here is that he cannot bond out. Um, right. There's no amount of money, but they have to honor the fact that he is sentenced to prison. And so we're going to ensure that it is honored, that he is kept in custody. And that's one of the reasons we're going first. And, and that's really one of the issues that came up here, and the reason this became nationwide news, uh, is 
is that New York City asked for him to be extradited now. They want him first because it's a murder charge. And, and I think, as the county attorney told us, that that sometimes would trump it. You would, you would go to the murder charge first, especially if the charge here locally was smaller. So, for example, if he was arrested for uh, shoplifting or, you know, even if you want to make it a felony burglary or something where uh, it was a nonviolent crime or something like that, it, most likely, generally, he would be sent back to New York City first. But there's more at risk here, uh, according to the county attorney. It's not just uh, making sure this man is tried, but wanting to make sure that uh, he isn't released uh, to be back out in public. That is a concern. I mean, I, I watched that the same as everybody else watched it with horror as illegal immigrants were attacking NYPD officers, you know, and we support our police here. And for to see them walk out of jail, flipping off the camera, if you remember that part, and then four of them got on a bus and came here and they were arrested here. That's inexcusable. And, and we were talking about that from a couple weeks ago, the, those uh, illegal immigrants that were uh, arrested and accused of assaulting two New York City police officers. And then in New York, no bond, they were released the next day. Uh, and we saw them. They came out and on film, on camera, they're flipping off the cameras. And then they got on a bus and they left and coming to California and they stopped in Arizona and we arrested them here. But the concern was, and, and look, I want to be fair. I, I, I don't know if they're releasing people charged with murder in New York City. Let, let's be reasonable. They, they're, they're, although I have to say, I don't know why they would release people who assaulted police officers either. So I, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about in New York City. It's that was crazy. Um, but Rachel Mitchell brought that up. The county attorney said, look, I, I have a concern uh, that we're going to send this guy back who's facing two attempted murder charges in Arizona. We're going to send him to New York. And what assurance do I have that they're not going to release him? <laughs> then, and that's uh, it, normally I would say that's a little bit off the wall. But it, with what New York did two weeks ago with those illegal immigrants who assaulted the police officers, it's really not that crazy to say that. It's, it's really not. You have to have that concern. And it's it's unfortunate that that's where we are with some cities right now where they've gotten rid of bail uh, for, for what's supposed to be minor offenses. I don't, again, I don't understand how assaulting a police officer warrants that, but it, it is absolutely a concern. And all she's saying is, all the county attorney is saying is, hey, we're going to try them here first. We're not, we're not saying we're not sending them to New York. They'll go to New York. But if we try them here in Arizona first and they're convicted, then New York has no choice. The city is not able to release them because now they're facing prison time. And they don't get to be released. They'd have to be held. So it it kind of it kind of calls any potential bluff in New York. It calls it, it takes it takes control of the situation. Uh, and Arizona has that control. And the county attorney Rachel Mitchell, she's made the decision that we're we're simply not going to release this guy to New York City until we get our trial uh, against him first, where he pleads guilty first here, and then he'll go to New York. So uh, I have to tell you, it, it is it's refreshing. It's great to have a county attorney uh, who she's a thirty year experienced county attorney she's she's worked uh, as a as a prosecutor for for 30 years and is there politics involved in an office where you have to run for uh, for office? Of course, there's always politics involved. Uh, but I will tell you as an attorney, I will tell you as someone who speaks with attorneys in that office, uh, morale is high. Uh, she she understands what the job is. And at the end of the day, being a county prosecutor, being the county attorney here is it's a law enforcement job. That's what it is. And Rachel Mitchell gets it. And and it's uh, we're lucky to have her here. And 
I'll be <laughs> as an aside. I'll just tell you, I don't understand why anybody would want to run against her in a primary. She's a conservative Republican. Uh, I mean, for goodness sake, if you're a Republican, she's she's the one who the Republicans brought in in the in the Brett Kavanaugh hearings before he became a Supreme Court justice. They brought Rachel Mitchell there uh, to run that that hearing. Uh, so I don't, I don't know how she can't be conservative enough. And yet, of course, in today's day and age, some people would say nobody's conservative enough. All right. I'm Barry Marks and in for Broomhead. Uh, coming up, the, our Arizona legislature. Boy, lots of uh, lots of funky bills are out there. Lots of activity this week. I'm going to tell you about a couple of them. One specifically uh, could potentially get rid of the Arizona National Guard. Guess which party is proposing it? I'll have it for you next. Uh, it's KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, coming up uh, at 11.15, right after the news break, uh, Congressman Ruben Gallego is going to join us here live on KTAR. We'll get his reaction uh, to Kerry Lake's interview uh, on the station this week, and also uh, the new polling out today, which shows Ruben Gallego up uh, 10 points in a head-to-head uh, race against Kerry Lake. So Ruben Gallego uh, running for the U.S. Senate. He's going to join us here live on KTAR coming up right after 11.15. Um, the legislature uh, here in Arizona, my goodness, always some interesting bills coming out of the legislature. Uh, one caught my eye uh, this week, and uh, it's <laughs> it's an odd one. Uh, it's uh, it's it's our friend Wendy Rogers, and uh, we can we can talk about Wendy Rogers all day, and I don't want to do that. But uh, her bill uh, would say that it would make it a law in Arizona that the Arizona National Guard uh, could not be deployed. If the if the Pentagon, if the military uh, went to deploy them, uh, as as sometimes happens, we've had Arizona National Guardsmen in uh, in in skirmishes and, and fighting uh, across the globe over the last several decades. Uh, and the bill would say you can't do that anymore, that the military and the president wouldn't be able to uh, wouldn't be able to move the guard or assign the guard or uh, give the guard a mission, whatever it might be uh, uh, anywhere unless unless uh, the Congress votes on an act of war. And I don't think the Congress has voted on an act of war since World War II, if I'm correct. I, I may be mistaken, but I, I know almost everywhere U.S. soldiers have fought since World War II has not been uh, voted on as an act of war. So basically it's saying, I mean, the reality of the situation, it's saying that the Arizona National Guard could not be used uh, for its main purpose, uh, which obviously is to defend Arizona, but also to defend the United States and its interests around the world as necessary. And there was testimony in the committee hearing about this bill, uh, and the, I think it was the head of the National Guard came out and said, look, if you do this, uh, the Pentagon is going to shut down funding for the National Guard because you're basically saying we can't, the Guard isn't, you know, what they're doing with the Guard all the time is training and training and getting them ready for missions and being having them be prepared for exactly this sort of thing where they're sent overseas, they're sent to protect American interests overseas. And if you're telling, if Arizona passes a law that says the National Guard isn't going to do that, okay, uh, but then we're not going to fund it. And 96% of the funding for the Arizona National Guard comes from the federal government, not the state. 96%. So this isn't a, this isn't a, a budget thing uh, for Wendy Rogers. This isn't, it's a political thing. It's her making a, some sort of wacky political statement. Um, and 
you know, for I guess there's people out there who are, no matter what now, we're isolationists. We don't want to have our troops anywhere else around the world, despite the interests of the United States and our allies. Uh, and, and I guess that's the reason. Uh, but the reality of it is that if this passes, and it did pass out of committee, it was a, it's on a party line vote. The Republicans all voted for it, and the Democrats voted against it, um, which is amazing to me that the Republicans are, in essence, voting to get rid of the Arizona National Guard. That's what's happening right now. That's the, that's the practical reality of what's going on. Because what they were told flat out is that if Arizona votes to get to, to say that the Arizona National Guard cannot be assigned overseas, that if the military says we're going to send this these guardsmen over here or over there, uh, whether it be to uh, whether it be to uh, the Middle East or to anywhere, uh, you can't do it. Then the federal government is going to stop. The Pentagon is going to stop uh, funding the Arizona National Guard and the guard will go away. <laughs> it's just, it's truly as simple as that. If 96% of your funding goes away, it's over. Um, and they're gone. And, you know, Wendy Rogers said, well, I don't think that's true. And and his response was, it's absolutely true. That's what's going to happen. Uh, that's why the federal government, that's why the military pays almost the entire budget of the Arizona National Guard is to have them uh, available, to have them at the disposal of military leaders. They're, they're part of the military. And now you're saying the military can't use them. Uh, that's so they're going to stop paying for it. So it's it's an amazing thing to me, uh, the, the lack of forethought, the lack of uh, listening to, to people. People who actually do things for a living when some of these bills come up, and this is one of them. And uh, I'm confident that Governor Hobbs would veto this, so I don't think it's going to go anywhere. But it's stunning to me, not only that Wendy Rogers would bring this bill and try to get this passed, but that every single Republican, I think it was 15 of them on that panel uh, in that committee, voted to approve. And I, I really do wish, uh, as, as an aside, we'd get out of this mentality where uh, every Republican votes for everything a Repub- another Republican brings, and every Democrat votes for everything every- another Democrat brings, uh, and and doing things that are just right sometimes, and it does happen. And I, I, you know, I'll credit several Republicans in the legislature. You know, there was a bill last week, I think it was, uh, where I think it was Rachel Jones. They brought this, they brought a, a bill out uh, that was going to take away the vote of the people in Arizona. It was li- the bill literally said that the people of Arizona will no longer decide who wins the 11 electoral Arizona's electoral votes for president. So this year, if that bill had passed, it would have meant that we, we'd vote in the we'd vote in the general election in November for president. Right now, it looks like it'll be for President Biden or Trump. And and will the people, the vote will decide who gets Arizona's electoral votes. And what this bill said, I'm not kidding. What this bill said is, no, the legislature will just pick and the legislature would just pick Trump right now because it's controlled by Republicans and that the legislature will just decide who Arizona wants to be president. That that was real. This is a real hearing. And a real there's a real bill and it was heard in front of a hearing and several Republicans were going to vote for it and so, and some Republicans stood up and I give them credit. They stood up and told their colleague, "You're out of your mind. Like we're not going to do this. We don't think it's constitutional. It's not it's not we can't do it anyway, although I think they probably could, but they said no, and I give them credit for that because it's so strange in today's day and age to see Republicans stand up against other Republicans to say, no, we're not going to do that. The real concern is that there were so many Republicans in our state legislature who were willing to take away our vote. They were willing to do that. And that's something I think that should be of concern to all of us. All right, coming up uh, at 1115, don't forget uh, Congressman Ruben Gallego is going to join us. He's running for Senate against Kerry Lake and maybe Kirsten Cinema. We'll talk to him about all the news this week about the Kerry Lake interview and the new polls that just came 
came out. And on the other side, I'm going to play you some of that Kerry Lake interview to get ready for the Ruben Gallego interview. Uh, we'll play you some of our Kerry Lake interview from this week on KTAR uh, and some of her uh, some of her comments, uh, including her uh, her thoughts on the the attack she made on John McCain and her her his his family and Megan McCain's response yesterday during Outspoken. I'm Barry Markson in for Broomhead. Stay with us. It's KTAR.